I found myself reflecting on a question this week. What is the identifying mark of a Christian? How should the world be able to identify us as followers of Christ? And many answers came to mind. Uh, you could get a tattoo. Uh, I've seen a number of people that have either a cross tattoo or maybe they have a heart with the word Jesus. You know, I love Jesus. Um, you could do that. Uh, some people wear uh, symbols of their faith, like jewelry. You could wear a cross around your neck. You could wear uh, maybe Christian shirts that have messages on them, like our, our church shirts do. Um, Uh, going to church, maybe that's the mark of being a Christian. You know what you all need to do? When you're backing out of your driveway to come to church, you need to lay on the horn. Just, just lay on it. And then when all of your neighbors come sticking their head out, you put your windows down and say, going to church. I'm leaving for church now. You know. I mean, just to, so they understand that Sunday morning. I, I stop in the Speedway station every Sunday morning. I, I buy a paper, Sunday paper. And I mean, it was standing room only. This thing was packed with people. The parking lot's packed. And I thought, I'm doing this wrong. I'm coming here. Our early service had about 15 people. We had 30 Okay, it's about 15. <laughs> it doesn't look like that many when you spread them all out. And I thought maybe I should just take my Bible with me and walk in the speedway. <laughs> and do a little preaching there. Maybe that's the mark of a Christian. Take a Bible everywhere you go. You know. Hello. Got my Bible. Bible. Um, maybe it's, it's having signs, religious signs at sporting events. Remember, uh, they used to have the guy in the clown wig with his John 3.16 sign? And every time they'd flash to the end zone getting ready to kick a field goal or something? John 3.16, right there. Uh, I saw a great one yesterday morning. I, I watch a show on Saturday morning sometimes called Game Day on ESPN. They basically are previewing these are the college football games that will be on today. And they always pick one of the uh, what they call the marquee game and they send their crew there live. And just hundreds of college students will pack the area around this stage wearing their school colors, and they all have signs. I mean, you have hundreds of signs. And they all try to position themselves so when the camera is on these guys here talking, behind them, you see their sign. I figured out they must all be on their cell phone. And they're holding up their sign, and they're like, can you see it now? Do you see it? I don't see it. Can you see my sign? Yeah, now we see it. Okay, good. Because you got to get your sign away from everybody else's sign. 
And, and they, were at, uh, they were at Penn State. They were doing the Penn State-Ohio State game. And, of course, every time they'd mention Penn State, this whole group of people would ah, go crazy and hold up their signs. And every time they'd mention Ohio State, there'd be another group of people going crazy and holding up their signs. And then right in the middle of all this, go Penn State, you know, go Ohio State, this sign rises up. And they took the ESPN and made an acronym. Every single person needs Jesus. <laughs> it was great. You got Penn State, Ohio State, Jesus! Right smack dab in the middle. I know they were on the phone because they got prime territory there. I don't, I don't know how they pulled that off. But, uh, I mean, there are so many things. That, what is the mark of a Christian? And I thought, well, probably the best way to answer that question is to ask Jesus. After all, as a Christian, it means being follower of Christ. So what does he think should be the mark of a person who follows him? And I found my answer in John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Did you catch it? He said it three times. If you want people to know that you believe in me, if you want people to know that you're a follower of me, if you want your life identified as a Christian, then love one another. All those other things we talked about are fine. They can all be things that Christians do. But if you really want the world to sit up and take notice of the fact that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you need to love one another. And what makes those words even more powerful are the context in which they were spoken. Jesus had just finished the Last Supper with his disciples. He's getting ready to head to the Garden of Gethsemane where he is going to suffer mightily in prayer. Then he's going to be arrested. He's going to be run through a series of mock trials. He's going to be beaten. He's going to have to carry the means of his own execution through the public streets in total humiliation. And then he is going to be crucified. And I don't know about you, but if all that is about to happen to me, I probably have all sorts of things running through my mind. But the one thing that was running through Jesus' mind is I need to make sure they understand that the most important thing that marks them as a Christian is love. Because in just a few hours, their natural human emotion is going to be hate. They're going to hate the Jewish leaders for what they were doing to Jesus. They're going to hate the Romans for condemning their Lord. And before they can allow all that hatred to well up within them, he reminds them that the world 
will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what does that look like? You know, it's an easy thing to say. We say it all the time. I haven't said a thing I haven't said a hundred times before in various messages and things we've done. We all know that loving one another is a part of the Christian life. But I'm not sure we realize how significant a part it is. The fact that it's the distinguishing mark of being a Christian. And how do we do that in day-to-day -day life? Well, 1 Peter 1.22 says that we are to love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. When it says deeply from the heart, it means that this is a love that goes beyond that which is casual and convenient. I don't have any trouble loving people casually and conveniently. You're walking down the street and you drop something. I don't have a problem picking it up for you and saying, here, you drop this. I'm standing in line at the store and you're ahead of me and you get to the checkout and you're two bucks short having enough to pay for your, your stuff. I don't have a problem at all pulling out my wallet and saying, here. Here's the $2, don't worry about it. That stuff's easy. That's casual, that's convenient love. But what about when the person comes along who's dealing with some real stuff in life and they want you to get involved in helping them and it's not gonna be a few minutes, it's not gonna be a couple hours. This is something that's gonna linger on for days and weeks and possibly more. This is something that may cost me. It may cost me my time. It may cost me money. It may cost me my effort. Then that's another matter. How much do we love then? You know, Jesus set the bar. You know that new, uh, they have the Ford F-150 truck commercial? That this new truck, it doesn't set the bar, it is the bar. I like that. See, it made me remember it. I drive a Chevy, but oh well. <laughs> and, and Jesus is saying loving one another doesn't set the bar. It is the bar. <laughs> That's what we have to strive for. And, and when Peter builds on that by saying we have to love deeply from the heart, it means that our love for one another has to be consistent. It has to be um, unconditional. And it has to be even to the point of being sacrificial. That's what it means to love deeply. And I can't just love the people that are easy to love. My family, no problem. Loving deeply. Friends, I can love them. My church family, I can love you. 
What about those people that are hard to love? Do you know any of those? Anybody come to mind? What about those people that you would just as soon not <laughs> love? What about those people that when you do try to love them, they don't appreciate it? And they may even reject it. See, the thing about this one another thing, Jesus said love one another, it's all inclusive. He didn't say love one another within your circle of people that you want to love. Or love one another just in the church. No, when he says love one another, he means you got to love them all. Because he loves them all. And if we're his followers, we have to love who he loves. The way that he loved them. Peter went on to say something interesting. In 1 Peter 4.8, it says, Above all, love each other deeply. That's in case you didn't catch it the first time he wrote it. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Chew on that for a minute. Think about that for a moment. Love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that true? When I really love somebody and they do something I don't like, I don't say, oh, sorry, not loving you no more. You brought me raisins. Psh, what are these cookies with raisins? I no longer love thee, for thou hast brought me raisins. Well, no. Or somebody says something that you kind of take uh, exception to, maybe it even offends you a bit, hurts your feelings. But it's somebody you love. See, we're not going to let that kind of stuff diminish relationship. We're not going to let it destroy our relationships because we love them. And that's what he means. Love covers a multitude of sins. The people I love will not hold things against me because they love me. Their love covers my sins. And the people that I love, I will not hold their sins against them because I love them. I will forgive them. I will give them a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance if need be because I love them. See, when you do what Jesus is asking you to do, it changes the game in terms of our relationships. Because many times, if we're honest, our relationships are about us. I relate to people in a way that works for me that makes me feel good, that I get out of the relationship what I want or what I need. And as long as I'm benefiting, then things are fine. But see, Jesus said you need to love one another, and Peter adds deeply from the heart, so we know that it's not about me. It's not about me at all but it's about you. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians uh, made a simple statement, but it's powerful. He said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
And a big part of loving one another is submitting to one another. Now, submission means in this context that I am willing to set my self-interest aside to make your self-interest a priority. I'm willing to put you first. I'm willing to put your interests ahead of my interest. Rather than this relationship being tilted toward me so that I'm getting the most benefit out of it, I'm willing to tilt it the other way. And I'm willing to give more and receive less so that I can benefit you. This is the kind of thing I talk to couples about when, we do, when I do premarital counseling. Because Paul goes on from that submit to one another out of reverence for Christ to talk about husband and wife relationships. And if relationships are built that way, they are powerful. If each and every one of us is looking out for each and every one of us, <laughs> then everybody's needs are going to be met. Everybody is going to experience love the way Christ wants us to love. He tells us to encourage one another. Do you know that encouragement is an act of love? When you are down and out, when you're struggling with something, and I can come alongside of you, and I can lift you up, and I can encourage you, and I can help you move forward, that's an act of love. See, we tend to think of love as being an emotion, a feeling. But love can be very practical. And should be. Because it's what Christ asks us to do. When we love one another, we should genuinely care for one another. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? You know what's interesting about that? Jesus, after he had fasted for 40 days and was starving, was told by Satan that he should turn some rocks into bread. And there's a part of me that says, I see no problem with that. <laughs> if I haven't eaten for 40 days and I have within me the power to create food from rocks, I'm not sure it'd be bread. Probably be chocolate. You got that. It'd be like a big old Hershey bar is what that would be. But I don't have a problem with that. But see, Jesus understood the bigger picture. It, if I do this, I'm not just feeding myself, but I'm giving in to using my power for me. I'm turning it inward, and I dare not do that. Because once you start down that slope, it gets very slippery. But the one who refused to make a, a small bit of bread to feed himself was willing to take a few loaves of bread and a few fish and create a buffet. To feed everybody else. Why? Because he loved them. He called his disciples over after a day of teaching and say, we can't send these people away. Most of them haven't eaten all day. They're tired. They're hungry. Let's feed them. And he did. 
When you love one another, you try to restore one another. Think about Jesus and Zacchaeus. We talked about him a few weeks ago. Zacchaeus on the outside looked like a very prosperous, successful person. He was doing well. But inside he was a broken man. And Jesus came along and looked through his success and saw the brokenness. And he invited himself to Zacchaeus' house that day rather than anyone else's house because he said, of all the people in this crowd who have come to see me, this man needs me the most. And I'm going to restore him by love. When you love one another, you bear with one another. Let's go back to the night before Jesus died. He's in the upper room with his disciples. He's having the last supper. And he pauses to say, one of you is going to deny me and one of you is going to betray me. I don't know about you, but if I realize that some of the people I have trusted the most and I have surrounded myself with and invested myself in for three years, if I knew one of them was going to deny me and one of them was going to betray me, I'd probably throw them out. Get out! Jesus didn't throw either one of them out. Now Judas left, but he left of his own accord to do what he had decided to do. Jesus was willing to bear with them. Even though you are going to hurt me deeply, I love you. And I will not turn away from you. And then, of course, one of the biggest ways we love one another is by forgiving one another. We see Jesus on the cross, beaten, bloody, dying, looking down at those who did this to him and saying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. That is, that is love. That is love personified. Every time you look at the cross, you should think love. And we must forgive one another. Nobody has ever hurt me the way they hurt Jesus. Nobody has ever treated me the way they treat Jesus. And yet he can forgive and sometimes I can't. But if we love one another deeply from the heart, then we can. I try to imagine what this world would be like if the people who were skeptical of my faith were anxious to have me as their neighbor or to hire me as their employee or to join me in doing something in the community because I love the way Jesus loved. So I don't, I don't accept what he believes, but man, 
the way he lives. I want that. There was a time when that was true. If you go back into the book of Acts, you see the first church. And you know what the mark of the first church was? They loved one another. When Rome was burning and Nero was persecuting the Christians to cover up what he did, who was taking care of the people who were being burned out of their homes, who were losing everything they had, who had nothing to eat and nowhere to go? Who was doing that? Their fellow Roman citizens? No. It was the Christians. The very ones that were accusing them falsely of causing the fire, they were rescuing from the fire. When plagues would come upon uh, them and people would be sick and dying and they were running away from each other so they wouldn't get it, who was coming to them to care for them? It was the Christians. The first century church turned this world upside down, not because they were the smartest people in the world, not because they were the most influential people in the world or successful people in the world. They turned the world upside down for one reason. They loved one another. And they loved one another deeply from the heart. And the unbelieving world couldn't help but notice I don't understand their Jesus, but I'm amazed by their love. That's what I want people to say today. That's what I want us to do today. We need to have that kind of church today. Because we are not going to reach the people out there and make them people in here if we don't. I can preach until I can't talk anymore. I can teach until I've gone through every verse in the Bible. I can have all the programs and ministries and missions that I want. And the world will remain largely unchanged if we don't love one another and love one another the way Jesus loved us. That is what will change the world. Let us pray. Father, I am so grateful that you love us. I mean, that is the starting point of, of everything we are and everything we do as a Christian. We have to understand that we are loved by God. And because you love us, we are called upon to love one another. In your word, Father, it says that the most important thing is faith expressing itself through love. That's the kind of faith we want. I don't want just a head faith. I don't want to just understand every verse in the Bible if it doesn't change the way I live. 
I don't want to just try to meet the needs of people if I don't do it in love. I want to be changed by love. And I want the love that I have through you to change others. And that is what I pray. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Faith through love. That's what it's all about. The verse I just referenced is Galatians 5, 6. The most important thing is faith expressing itself in love. And we can't do that unless we have the beloved in our life. The source of my love is Jesus. And I need a relationship with him. I need to experience his love and grace in my life before I can give it to you or share it with you. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we need to change that. We need you to open your heart to him. And during this time of invitation, it would be my privilege to welcome you, to pray with you, to lead you in a simple statement of faith that says, I believe in Jesus and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. We'll arrange for your baptism and you will not only know that you are loved, but you will then be in a position to love one another deeply from the heart. Let's stand together. We're going to sing hymn number 67, verses 1 and 3. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior.
Yeah. 